At photographycourse.net, you'll be able to swap your expertise with other photographers, make light instead of wishing for it, expand your portfolio, and receive feedback from professionals, all of which will develop your artistic eye. Photographycourse.net offers an abundance of premium courses and challenges for participants at every stage of their journey, from technical settings for portrait photography, to landscape composition tricks, to how to start your own photography business, we have everything you need to start shooting confidently. You can work at a pace that suits you. Our 52-week project challenge will provide you with the educational resources, encouragement, and support that you need to take great photographs every week. You can join us at any time as our themes are evergreen. You can also start by shooting every day and learning something new with our 365 Days of Photography course. Led by an industry expert who has mentored over 10,000 students, this course will help you take your photography skills to the next level with daily, bite-sized videos. Throughout the process of learning, you'll have access to a community that will provide you with inspiration and motivation. Get encouragement from other photographers every single day. Our current limited time offer comes with a special discount code exclusive to the listeners of this podcast. Get 50% off your first year as a premium member. Claim this discount by going to photographycourse.net and entering the coupon code PODCAST. Come join photographycourse.net and capture more than just a moment. Hello everyone, my name is Taya and I'm the host of Great Big Photography World Podcast, where we interview notable photographers in the industry, give advice on a wide variety of topics, and provide tips for beginners and professionals alike. This week's episode is a special one. It's an interview with Matt Conley, the community director at Hit Record, which is a collaborative production company founded by Joseph Gordon-Levitt and his brother. Matt is a talented photographer and a wonderful artist in general. We talk about creativity, the beauty of collaboration, and much more. Please enjoy. Hey Matt, welcome to the podcast. It's so great to have you here. Please feel free to introduce yourself to the listeners. Hey everybody, my name is Matt Conley. I uh, live out in Los Angeles. I'm originally from the East Coast over in the Boston area here in the United States. You never forget where you come from. It's important to say where you live, but also where you're from. And I work at the company called Hit Record. I am the community director there and we're a collaborative art platform where anyone um, all over the world can come and join, collaborate with people from around the globe and make projects together of all kinds, uh, any kind of art. So that's my career path. That's incredible. You have an incredible story, and I look forward to talking about it with you throughout the podcast. But my first question is, what camera equipment do you use? Oh, yeah. So I'm on the Nikon D7500, and I got that about a year ago. I used to be into Canon. I loved shooting on film. That was the first like professional camera I ever got. I always had like a point and shoot, something I could put in my pocket, uh, and I'd shoot on Sony, typically. Then I upgraded, you know, a number of years ago to the Canon series. But then I went to Nikon. I I just thought that it was just time to try something different, and uh, I find that this new camera that I've been using for the past year really gets the job done. So it's a real treat to use. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Yeah. Nikon cameras are definitely incredible and just really handy. I've uh, used one a few times and I really liked it. I'm personally a Canon girl, but I respect the Nikon community for sure. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I didn't do much research. I really was just open to a new brand and a new feel and discovering it. Like I'm somebody who really learns just by doing so I never look at the manuals. I've never had classes. Uh, it's all about just adapting to whatever the particular creative tool is and figuring it out. So to be honest with you, I didn't put too much stock into what brand, but I did like the idea of switching it up. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm very much the same. I don't really like reading manuals before I buy things like this. Of course, I'm going to read a little bit about it, but I'm not going to compare and spend hours on that. So it's cool that uh, there's somebody else out there who has a similar style to mine. Yeah, and I know that I would be probably way more advanced, you know, if I, one, took a class, two, read the manual, and three, experimented more, you know, like I've definitely gone through my stages of trying different settings, but I remember when I first started out with film, there's just little room to, either you don't have as much latitude because you're paying for the film constantly, 
each shot really you got to make it count unless you're shooting endless rolls and hired for a job and uh, of course in the digital era you just have more freedom and I really do look forward to trying more of the dials and trying different exposure times and, and all that stuff but yeah you know I in the moment I'll just go with whatever feels right and you know I don't have too much patience that's why I don't open up the manual but when it comes to photography discovering the shot through the technical side of things is just as fascinating as finding the frame. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it also puts less pressure on you because then you're just going with the flow, which is also very good sometimes. That's right. Yeah. There is something very, not primal about photography, but there is just something about discovering it and experimenting. And then sometimes even when you check the, you know, you, you click to see, you hit playback, you're like, oh, is the shot good? And Sometimes you're just looking at it so quickly that you might not see the small nuances of what did work or what didn't work until you put it into the editing software. And then you're like, oh, I thought that shot was so good. And then it ends up looking like trash. So there's a lot of like variables, which I think makes photography such a, a fascinating endeavor. Uh, it's constantly challenging and uh, leads to lots of discovery and spontaneity. Mm -hmm, for sure. Yeah. It's cool that you have this relationship with it. And as you mentioned, you're the community director at Hit Record, which is a collaborative production company founded by Joseph Gordon-Levitt and his brother. Could you tell me about that company and how you became a part of it? Oh, yeah. Well, I discovered Hit Record in about 2007. I was living in Boston. I was doing a lot of random jobs, you know, and doing a lot of internet searching, especially for creative arts. I had been doing a lot of video editing on my own, and as I mentioned before, a lot of photography with film. But I didn't quite have a place to put it, you know? Uh, I was often going on YouTube, downloading movie trailers and clips, and then just recutting them. And it just didn't lead to anything. Like, I wasn't doing anything that I felt was very original, or I didn't feel like I was having a relationship with the people that I was quote-unquote collaborating with because if I was downloading say a Rolling Stones song and, and remixing it into some kind of music video the Rolling Stones aren't going to see it the Rolling Stones don't know who I have don't know who I am and they, there's no way that we're actually going to connect over it maybe somebody would see the video and be like oh I like how he, you know that was cool I never saw the song <laughs> like that visually but it's like we're you know that's a dime a dozen and and uh you know there and also the internet at the time like 2007 it still was you know, about 10 solid years in, but the potential of the internet, I don't think had quite emerged. And um, YouTube was just taking off, I believe, around then. And, mm -hmm. you know, maybe Vimeo and these things. But again, they were more of like a gallery. And I love galleries. I love going to a place and saying like, oh, let's look at some good quality art and then move on. That's awesome. But when I discovered Hit Record in its earliest days, I started to discover that it was a place that you could post something and other people could download it, add on to it. So that was immediately fascinating to me. And I remember starting to do projects that I found particularly fascinating because there was no context to them. It's not like any of the art had been seen, say, on television and or were, was not quite like the Rolling Stones, like where, oh, this is going to be my take on something people are very familiar with. Everything felt brand new. And exploring brand new art that I was just discovering and then putting my stamp on it was very, very compelling to me. And I remember doing one of my first video edits and saying, oh, all right, I need a shot of a clock. And then I searched the site for the word clock and something came up and I was like, oh, and I just get to download this and use it? Great. And I remember <laughs> that being like that aha moment, thinking that if I needed a particular song, I could look for a genre and I'd find it. And then slowly but surely, everything I was looking for, I would find. And I was like, wow, this is new and different and great. And this needs to be seen and heard by other people. So I just became just immersed in it. And several years later, I got hired. And now I've been with the company for about, well, over eight years, but I've been in the community for like 12 or something. Who could even say anymore? It's, it, I've lost track. Mm-hmm. That is an incredible story, and I agree with you. I think Hit Record is extremely unique in that sense, where you get to collaborate with so many different people, and the artwork is brand new, and you get to remix it in your own ways and create something that's even more meaningful. And, and I think it's 
just truly shows the power of collaboration because several people coming together and merging their talents and sharing their stories can really create something unforgettable. Well, it also, I think it's a motivating factor for anybody to share something that isn't quote unquote finished or is in its earliest state or is maybe something on your camera roll that day that you're like, I don't know, I'm kind of on the fence. This shot, I don't know, it's interesting, but I don't really know. It's not my best work or maybe somebody else could do something with it and get inspired by it. I don't know. I'm on the fence. That happens to me all the time. I'll, I'll, I used to be such a perfectionist. I'd be like, well, I'm only showing the shots that I've mastered and look amazing. And whatever mm-hmm. I felt fit that criteria. But when I start to put up stuff that easy is even from my phone that day, like if I go on a bike ride, find an interesting scene, I'll post it. Because what I find maybe even mediocre, somebody else might see as like this the thing that they were looking for, like that clock that, they, that I was looking for back in you know 2008 or whatever that picture I took might be something that somebody would find like compelling to write about or might be something they could use in a graphic design collage where I might think, I don't know, it's okay. Uh, That really to me is unlocking the potential of art when you open it up for collaboration. Mm -hmm. Unlocking potential. That's a really great way of describing it. And for me recently, because I recently um, got back into hit record, I was looking through your work. I was looking through Joseph Gordon-Levitt's work and a lot of the other contributors' work, and uh, I stumbled upon a short story that you had written, sort of a continuation of a sentence, sort of like a reply to a prompt. And I was so inspired by that, so I created a collage of photographs and I used your story as a subtitle, sort of making it seem like it was taken from a film, you know, like a film still. Yeah. So it's cool that you can do that. You can get bits and pieces and it's all legal, of course, and people can come together in many ways and allow their potential to really reach its peak together. Yeah, well, that's what I think artists, you know, are all here on this planet to do, whether they do it in person, collaborate, or whether they do it over the internet or whatever their means are. I mean, 40 years ago, we couldn't connect quite the way we can now. I remember watching the news as a kid and being like, wow, that's really cool. People can do an interview, uh, you know, live from the Olympics and then somebody's Mm -hmm. over in New York and they're talking to each other. That felt really interesting and cool. But then look at how far we've come. Not only are you and I talking right now, but we just spoke about an experience where we collaborated together to make a piece of art that you and I by ourselves could not have made. We needed one another to do that. And that if I remember correctly, 40 years ago or whatever it was, I don't think people could quite do. Everybody, um, it was much harder and technology has allowed that to happen. And as you mentioned on Hit Record, all the legal stuff is taken care of. Everybody's only granting non-exclusive rights, so they can still do whatever the whatever they want with, with what they post. Everything is, is up for, uh, you know, they can go sell it, they can go workshop it, they can go throw it away, <laughs> they can do whatever they want off <laughs> But once they post it to the site, it's open to that ecosystem of other artists who are like-minded and, and want to collaborate and do exactly that type of exercise that you, you and I were just talking about, of downloading and adding some of our own flavor to somebody else's thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it truly feels like a superpower. And you haven't stopped there. You went on to create these incredibly big projects like a TV series. You've worked with Joseph Gordon-Levitt on a TV series for Hit Record. What was that experience like? Oh, well, first of all, it was um, incredibly exciting. And a lot of people say, oh, it's exciting. Everything's exciting. Like that word to me uh, has kind of lost some of its power because I feel, especially as people type on, uh, you know, social media, they're excited every day about something. But that truly, I'm being, I wanted to emphasize this. It truly was exciting. It was also terrifying. Uh, Making a show through collaboration over the internet to have it all come together, make sense, and blend, co- you know, in a in a coherent way, cohesively, was such a, a challenge. It was at times, you know, just absolutely challenging. Uh, there's there's really no other way to put it. However, if you're not challenging yourself as an artist at some point, whether it's being outdoors and taking a, a shot and being like, the lighting's just not right. I think I have to wait it out. Like if you're not challenging it uh, yourself then what are you, you know, kind of like, what are you doing? You're all, you're, you're kind of, you're going to plateau. Mm-hmm. Um, so making a, a show of that complexity in that type of fashion 
a show that arguably kind of hadn't ever really been made that way before. I thought truly ahead of its time. Um, it was like taking a step into the unknown and it was very, very rewarding. A lot of hard work. And I'm very proud of the two seasons we put together. I think it speaks for itself, but at the same time, you can never truly tell the story of a, of a show made over the internet by people who have never met. It's a, you know, you, when you watch something and consume something, hopefully it's good enough to stand on its own two legs. And knowing that there's so many layers beneath what we put on television with that show, I think speaks to the, just the depth of, of the community and, and the spirit of all the different cultures and individuals who came together to create something they couldn't have made on their own and uh, incredibly rewarding. Mm-hmm. Well, I can imagine how challenging and rewarding that was. And didn't you win an Emmy for that show? We did. Yeah, we won um, an Emmy for the first season. And what a way to validate the efforts of so many people. And I think, you know, awards are only so great. You know, it, it's, it's way more about the experience. So as mm-hmm. I talked to you, though, in fact, I wasn't even thinking of the Emmy as I was describing that experience, because so much of what I remember, <laughs> it was the day to day, like figuring it out, trying things, adjustments making things uh, come together and seeing the evolution and seeing the community rise to the challenge along with us as producers uh, and creators and all, that to me is always going to be the thing that you remember the most. So the accolade was really something uh, very unexpected and and treasured, but um, truly the experience of seeing it form, seeing the rough cut turn into a fine cut, turn into a, a a lock cut going to the studio. I'd never been in like a professional studio before we did the final um, mastering where you literally go frame by frame often. And uh, that process for me, somebody who originally came from a place, not Hollywood, I'll never forget that. Wow. That is truly amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Of course. You have many incredible talents, including voice acting, video editing, as you mentioned, photography, writing, and so much more. I love that you merge these interests to create unique art and to inspire others. Have you always been creative? I'd consider myself creative since day one, yeah. I mean, I remember watching Sesame Street or shows or getting into Star Wars and all that stuff and immediately wanting to go create. I think there was that moment, you know, like a lot of people go, where did it begin for you, right? Mm -hmm. And I think it was probably watching Star Wars and asking my parents to rewind uh, the scene where Luke discovers his, I mean, this is morbid, uh, where he discovers his dead aunt and uncle burned like in his hut, like on this oh. planet. It was such a terrifying scene. But I remember being so affected by it that a visual image of smoke and, you know, skeletons and just the way they framed the, the scene and added the music. And it was just incredibly powerful and I, I remember asking my parents to rewind a few scenes being like I think I missed that scene I was totally lying I was like I think I missed it I need to see what happened but I wanted to relive it and I think that's when it made sense that I was like wait a second somebody added music to this and then somebody made the decision to cut to the wide shot and then show a close-up of Luke and then pan right to show the the, the skeletons and I, and then somebody must have made the set because those people aren't really dead. Uh, and I, I, I think that was when it clicked for me. And I said, I understand that there are multiple people making this and it has had an effect that I can't describe. So if this is creativity, I want in, you know. Mm-hmm. That is very cool. And what was the first art form that you got into? Oh, definitely drawing with markers. Absolutely. Oh, me too. I was into drawing for a very long time, and then that slowly transitioned into photography. Well, you know, it was weird. I was growing up in, uh, like, I must have done my first, like, market project, like, what, 83, 84, or whatever. And, you know, I'm sure there are bits and pieces of artwork that I did before I truly remember doing my first drawing, but I remember drawing, like, Luke Skywalker with a lightsaber. And I remember thinking, the markers are great, but sometimes they're too thick. I can't do the details, you know what I mean? Because I would, I would love to do like black like outlines of hair and stuff. But when the marker was so thick, it was just, it, it, you know, you couldn't get like that fine tip. Yeah. Uh, like the, the Crayola markers didn't do that. But then later on in the 80s, they made the really thin, finer tip ones. And I was like, mm-hmm. where were these in 83? You know, and I, and I just started to get really upset. Like I got like 
you know, like my child had been tainted and, and that the next generation was going to have like an advantage. And of course, like every <laughs> generation arguably nowadays has this advantage with technology and better equipment and better tools. However, doing things the old fashioned way, having things pre-internet and having to create or I mean, not even imagine the folks in the 70s and 60s making films and never being able to download footage or have an Avid or have Final Cut Pro. I mean, I did reel-to-reel tape editing in high school, like with VHS tapes, and you had to commit to the edit. You got a little preview, but when you hit edit, it locked it in. It taped over. And doing things that way, it, it really teaches you things that the newer generation just, you know, with all these great, they, they can do it on their phone. We never had that. We had it. We had oh, yeah. So yeah, that's a really interesting perspective. Yeah. And I think limitation is often very good for creative people because if you have too many options, then it can get a little bit confusing, at least for me personally, in my experience. Yeah. But limiting yourself can often lead to even more creative ideas. Well, that's also like where, when we were talking earlier about sh- the importance of shooting on film, you know, making those shots count. Of course, like you have probably National Geographic photographers back in the day doing click, 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 click. And then, you know, having somebody by by their side, handing them a new camera. And they're like, yeah, we have 8,000 more shots you can take. It's no problem. (laughs) But like anybody else, you know, my mom was a photographer in college, you know, for the school newspaper and stuff. And you knew they probably got 18 shots and that was it. Like you had to get it right. Or you had to be willing to take a risk and say, I don't know if this lighting is going to make anything appear. I don't know if the darkroom can fix that. What a crazy roll of the dice uh, creativity can be sometimes, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, and I feel like nowadays, especially young people, they romanticize film photography so much. And I'm one of those people because there's just so much simplicity in it and in the challenge because it's just so specific and there are no ways out. You just have to deal with it the way you're dealing with it and there are not going to be any shortcuts. So I think a lot of young people kind of seek that minimalism in their lives because their own worlds are so saturated. I think everybody should grab a film camera at least one point in their life, especially this new generation, right? Go out Mm -hmm. there, buy a few rolls of film and see what happens and, and just see what that experience is. I bet some of that experience will translate into approaching digital photography if, if they choose to continue to do digital, that is, after switching. But I think it'll have a heavier influence on them in the way they decide because I personally don't like taking endless shots. I really like to make it count. Like I'm like, I'm committing to this moment. Like, yeah, I might try three, a variety of three other options, maybe, but I really like to test myself and lock something in. There's something um, very uh, like fulfilling about that and knowing that you might get it wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that comes with the territory. And then if you accept that, then I think you'll be more willing to make mistakes too. And that's really important. You learn more from mistakes than successes. Yes, exactly. And it's really beautiful what you said about committing to a photograph. I think that's something many of us should learn to do more often because as you said you can just click 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 and it's endless and you don't know when to stop but sometimes you have to really commit to an idea and a concept well it's kind of like i really one of the first forms of photography that really spoke to me were like portraits of actors and performers and musicians you know looking through magazines and looking for an artful portrait you know set and i remember thinking how cool it was to have these outfits selected and sometimes a a scene like like why is this actor in a new orleans bar playing pool you know and but but knowing that they've sort of committed to that storyline and i thought that that was so fascinating like i liked how they were telling stories and purposely deciding what the scene was going to be and then kind of having to make it work you know if that actor arrived at that pool hall and kind of was unaware that that was the concept and was like not feeling it the photographer and the team have to make it work and have to work around it. You don't have all day. You don't get a a year to make the shot. You have to navigate and adapt to it. So that's what I I often find so interesting is like uh, when you have control over the talent, like say that actor or actress, that's one thing. But when you're out photographing just random objects, you have even less control. You know, that spider web might only be in that light for like five seconds. And you have to make it work. You have to commit to it. 
you have to choose wisely. And I just find that absolutely fascinating in all mm-hmm. respects. I, I give a lot of credit to photographers who uh, lock in a particular vision and when they fulfill it, I've talked to some people and they're like, oh, I'm super nervous all the time. You know, the wedding photographers, I go, hey, have you ever missed the kiss? I asked one guy, I was like, hey, did you ever miss the kiss? And he's like, yeah, one time. He's like, but I had to, I had to come up with an alternative. He's like, I immediately went into like combat mode and I had to solve the problem. And I, I think that's so fascinating. Yeah, wedding photography is a real challenge and any sort of, I think also street photography, candid photography, as you said, you have to be there in the moment and it, the moment might just be there for a few seconds and it's over and you feel responsibility. It can be kind of nerve wracking, but at the same time, really cool and really challenging. Well, if you're on the street too, like there's so many things sometimes happening. Yeah, sometimes you'll find a, a, an empty street and you're like, oh, that subject's really cool. But sometimes you're deciding between, you know, subject A, B or C and one of them might disappear in the next moment. So which one's it going to be? That's why I keep saying like committing to that shot, committing to that moment, finding the thing that tells a storyline instantly that you think will resonate with not only yourself, but your audience, your potential audience, like that pool hall scenario, making sure that uh, it's going to click and that it's going to work. Or if it's not, what's your plan B? It's a problem solving medium with limited control. I just love that. Just already the way I just described it, I already got nervous. I was like, Oh, Photography makes me nervous. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I think that's the beauty of it. And I really like your perspective. And it's clear that you're a very flexible photographer. Your gallery features photos of still life, your family, landscapes, and more. What inspires you to take photos of so many different things? I think it's because I want to experience as many things as possible. But as much as I want to be a world traveler, I don't travel the world and I've only been out of the country to go to Canada once or twice or like three times or something like that. So I've not, the scope of my travel hasn't satisfied the desire I have for it. But what I've found is the alternative is exploring the things around me, whether that's driving an hour away, maybe sometimes traveling to a different city or state or what have you, but always going deeper within that area and that territory Maybe there's a great landscape that I find, but I'm really looking for things beneath the surface. I'm looking for a layer deeper. Uh, I'm looking for a detail that somebody would casually walk by. I'm looking for an imperfection that people might not notice. I'm looking for something ironic, you know, something that if you see it, you might take it for granted. But if you see it from this angle, this new angle that I'm presenting to you, you might look at it differently. I know other photographers have done that for me. So I, that's, it's my attempt in this place with billions and billions of people just to offer my perspective. Mm-hmm. That's great. And I think that's very motivating for the listeners because sometimes we feel like we can't travel the world, and especially during a time like this and the pandemic. But I think in general, not everybody has the opportunities to travel the world, unfortunately. So you have to be able to make the most of what you have. And by doing that, you can really grow as an artist and really see the potential that you have in your own life and in your own area. So I like to encourage artists to always just leave their home, check out their neighborhood. As you said, go to another city if possible and just look for places that maybe other people overlook. I think that can really, really change your work. Have you ever seen that movie Blue Velvet by David Lynch? No, I haven't seen it. All right, you got to watch it. See, if anybody who's listening to this has seen Blue Velvet, one of the shots in that movie is the opening it takes place in this like suburban bright colors we're talking bright blue skies white picket fences americana right and then Mm -hmm. the camera starts to go like underground and you see i I think it's like ants and insects and you're like oh and you already get unsettled and you're like wait i what happened to the bright blue sky where is that and i think like I'm always looking for something kind of in between, not going too dark and morbid, but somewhere in between where it's, yeah, it's nice to see a postcard-esque photograph, but it's way more interesting if the lighting's a little bit darker, if the subject isn't looking at you and smiling, or if there is a crack you know, in the wall rather than some pristine uh, paint job that's perfect. Um, it's somewhere in between. It's not quite blue velvet, but it's uh, inspired by that idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really important to allow yourself to look for flaws in photography because I think, especially portrait photographers, and I'm guilty of that as well. We try to make our pictures look perfect, and as perfectionists, we want to you know avoid 
mistakes and flaws and stuff, but it is important, as you emphasize, to embrace the darker sides of photography. Not going too dark if you don't want to, of course, but also, you know, embracing the the cracks and the the pores if you're into portrait photography or whatever genre it is that you're into. Yeah, and it could be one of those outtakes, you know, like that isn't quite where everything's symmetrical and at the right angle with the right crisp line of shadow or something. It could be where the person even was mid you know, switching pose and like maybe there's a slight blur that just adds some kind of character that arguably wasn't there in any of the other shots. And that's the one that makes it stand out. That's the difference maker. That's the one that perhaps tells a different side of that subject. It's really uh, so open to interpretation what that is. And that's why I love, you know, photo shoots that include multiple shots from the same location, you know, going back to what we talked about earlier, the pool hall. I want to see the one that is like the classic shot, but I also want to see the outtakes. You know, I want to see the mistakes. I want to see where the actor clearly was uncomfortable or when the actor was really owning it and hamming it up. I want to see all of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm always curious about things like that, too. When I see pictures of actors in magazines or on websites like Vogue, I want to see the outtakes. I want to see the mistakes. It's really cool. And it would have been cool to see that and to just get that reassurance that each photographer makes mistakes and every model feels uncomfortable sometimes because I feel like we forget that sometimes as beginners, especially. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, especially when, you know, entertainers, there's certain ones that might not like at all to be photographed. And even if you go into the photo shoot knowing that, I find it like completely interesting to know that a photographer and their crew had to work with somebody who clearly was like trying to get it over with. And I think that that's mm-hmm. interesting. You know, you start to like see in that shot, like, was the actor like just trying to get out of it where they're like, yeah, 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 let's go, let's go. Or maybe that photographer was the one person that they've ever had a photo shoot with that made them comfortable and made them want to, you know, try something that they've never done before or just embrace the fact that they're doing it. And I, I don't know. I think about that a lot because going back to the Star Wars example, once you realize that there are other people in that scene that made that photograph happen. That's where you can kind of create storylines beyond, you know, that gets you into maybe it's speculative and it's like you're making things up that aren't true. But at the mm-hmm. same time, it makes photography interesting. What's the story behind the shot? Sometimes that can be as interesting as what's put into you know, the frame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like what you mentioned about entertainers and models in general not being maybe willing to have photo shoots. And I, I know some celebrities who kind of stay away from that. It is interesting, your perspective on it, how you wonder what it was like, you know, for the photographers as well. And I think in general, that's something photographers are scared of because when you take photos of a model, you want them to be open to you and you want them to open their heart up to you in a way, even if it's not, you know, directly in order for you to have a great photo shoot. And it's, I think it's a nightmare or my personal nightmare for me to imagine being with the, with a model who maybe isn't as willing to be photographed. I think that's a pretty daunting experience. I think the one thing that I've started to think about more and more uh, after being exposed to more and more art, whether it's film or photography or even music or anything, sometimes people that are very demanding and almost cold, uh, of course, nobody wants to be, I don't think people really want to be around somebody who's cold and you know apathetic. However, mm-hmm. the interesting thing that emerges is how does that, person challenge the talent or the subject in a way that perhaps the the really friendly person who says yes all the time doesn't challenge that person. So I know there's opposite ends of every spectrum, but I do sometimes think of what would happen if a model walked into a situation where somebody was very demanding and like what but but did it for the art, you know, because that was their method to get the particular person to get that expression that they're looking for that, the, you know, doesn't come naturally. How is it that the collaboration sometimes results in something that was maybe less fun and more difficult, but yet achieved a very unique and special result from the tension? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, that's a very interesting way of looking at it because tension can sometimes result in really interesting works of art. And sometimes viewers can't even realize, they don't realize that there was tension in the first place. So only the people who were at the photo shoot know that that happened. So that's a, that's an interesting way to think about it. Yeah. You see a photo of somebody crying and you're like, Oh, I guess that person can just turn it on. 
but what if there was some other factor? I mean, it's always a possibility. Maybe they, maybe there was an argument uh, and then the, the camera was still clicking. You know, I, I just think that it's so interesting to know that some people on the receiving end of a photograph are just flipping through a magazine like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, that was, oh, yeah, but they're, they're flipping so fast. And then some of us are stopping and wondering what's behind that moment. And I'm not saying you have to do one or the other. But it definitely provides more possibilities uh, when you start to think of the dynamic of photographing someone and what you have to do to achieve your vision. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's speaking and sometimes it's not. Some, I'm sure some photographers, I don't know about you, but you probably might talk a lot or maybe you don't. And maybe you just say, oh, turn left. You know, maybe that's all you ever say. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> turn left. Yeah. Yeah, every photographer is so different. I mean, for me personally, when I work with models, I like to be very involved. I want them to feel like they're my friends at a photo shoot. I don't want them to ever feel like they're, you know, in a serious location where they have to be perfect all the time. But that's my style. I know photographers who are completely different. And it's really cool that there are so many unique ways of approaching this. I mean, there's no right or wrong way, as long as you're being respectful, of course. <laughs> but yeah. there's really no specific way. There are no specific guidelines for this. And what works for you can help you and develop your style in a very interesting way. Yeah, well said. Photographycourse.net is a place where you can find an abundance of photography inspiration in different forms like premium courses, articles, video tutorials, editing resources, and much more. We have a thriving community where you can meet new people, receive constructive criticism, and discover new ideas every single day. Here is a message from one of our top community members, Robert Morton. Hi, my name is Rob. I specialise in wildlife photography and landscape photography. I'm a member of photographycourse.net online community. I like the community because you get some fantastic ideas and some great feedback. So take your photography to the next level by clicking the link in the description. That's what I did and I haven't looked back. If you want to join our online community, go to photographycourse.net and enter the coupon code PODCAST to get 50% off your first year as a premium member. And I feel like models and photographers are very similar to actors and directors, right? On a much smaller scale, I guess, but it's still kind of that relationship that you have to make and the bond that you have to have, and that really translates into the results into the film and into the photographs. I think it's very similar. It's cool that there's that parallel. Yeah. And, you know, the layers change, right? If you're shooting for a very big magazine, not only is it the photographer's responsibility, but it's also the editor or it's the editor in chief or it's that segment producer. So many other voices matter, uh, similar to a director of a movie set. They don't, have, they might not even have final cut. So they might shoot the greatest movie ever, but then the studio might workshop it into something that makes a few extra bucks at the box office. So there's a lot of stakes for art. And that's why I respect everybody, people who do this independently. And they're like, oh, no, I'm doing, I'm maybe uh, not taking the magazine job because I want to have complete, you know, authority over what I put out into the world in terms of photography. Some people are like, no, I need that direction. I want that. I want somebody to tell me what the creative vision is for the piece so that I can construct the shots. And then some people are like, maybe stuck in the middle where they're like, well, I, I'm doing it for the money. And I am willing to compromise my own artistic vision. But maybe the art suffers. So I, I have a lot of empathy for everybody involved, because I know everybody has you know, a different set of goals. Um, I, I totally understand the, you know, quote unquote studio perspective of a film where they have to make ends meet. They have to, the bottom line does matter to keep things running. But then the director will say, the studio is always trying to make this stuff. And, uh, you know, and, and, but I, it's a give and take. It's a compromise. It's part business, part art. So I, but, but then I love the independent nature of things. Like there are directors who have self-financed their own movies, more power to them, but they probably had to also do the studio film for the money to get the money in the first place so that they could do the self-funded exercise. So I, I see all sides and I respect all sides. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it's absolutely fascinating to just think about every kind of art form out there and how everybody approaches it and their relationship with it. It's uh, kind of overwhelming, actually.
it is overwhelming. It is. And, you know, if you think about it long enough, you'll never come to any conclusion because it will just continue to cycle in your head. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And speaking of uh, exposing yourself to different forms of, of art, you've spent a lot of time collaborating with different artists on Hit Record, as you said. I really like how active and passionate you are about other people's work. What's the most important lesson you've learned while working with so many different people? I think it's just to have an open mind, to feel empowered to offer a suggestion or offer a compliment or offer a bit of creative criticism, you know, constructive criticism, but also be open-minded to have the same thing come back to you. Like, I love getting a compliment, don't get me wrong, but sometimes I'll be like, oh, seeing nice with a capital, you know, N and, and a, uh, an exclamation point, like, is there more, you know, you, you know, <laughs> yeah. or like when somebody does offer something up, it's uh, with more context and more constructive criticism in that area. It's having a willingness to, as we said earlier, understand the perspective, going back to like, knowing that a studio has to make ends meet, you have to understand their perspective when they're giving a creative note. Um, the same thing for people around the world who might look at my work or I'm looking at their work. We're from different places. We have different backgrounds. We have different tastes. We see different things in different pieces. Just being open-minded, it will get you so much further if uh, you understand that everybody's not you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very important. And it's a lesson everybody has to learn because we often seek compliments from people, even if subconsciously we want people to appreciate us and that's normal. But Sometimes we expect everybody to like our work, and that's a difficult pill to swallow when you realize that not everybody's going to like your work. Um, but I think the best thing, of course, as you said, is to be open-minded and to seek other people's constructive criticism. That's a really important point to make because I feel like some photographers, um, and even I as a beginner back in the day, I was afraid of getting criticism from people because, I don't know, I just felt like it devalued my work, which is obviously not the right way to look at things, but... Do you have any tips for people who are afraid of receiving constructive criticism? Yeah, I would just say that every opinion has value. Whether in that moment it might feel like you're being defensive and that's the only way you can see it, be like, well, of course they're wrong because I know. If you're mumbling to yourself in your mind in a frustrated fashion, that's emotion, right? And emotion can go in your favor and sometimes it can go against you. It can prevent growth. I remember, this is like a brief aside, but I remember my mom talking about art class, you know, in college and she had a professor, I believe, who would just rip people's drawings in half. And that was his way of saying, not good, you know? And <laughs> imagine how many people that just alienates from the craft. Like people are like, well, forget it, I'm done. Like this mm -hmm. completely makes me not want to ever do this again. But imagine those people that understood the extreme nature of that reaction in the sense of that guy or woman is telling you, you got to do better. I know you can do better. This is not your best work and you have to start over because I'm the teacher. I don't look, I don't agree with that, but I'm just saying everything is a, is a chance for us to challenge ourselves and learn. And we have to check our emotions at the door sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's incredibly good advice. Sometimes we get too emotional and we get defensive, as you said, we mumble in our minds in a frustrated way, but it has happened to many people often, I'm sure. And yeah, the key is to just understand that emotions shouldn't always come first and to embrace other people's opinions, even if you maybe don't agree with them completely. Exactly. So what do you struggle with the most as a photographer? Oh, the technical side. Yeah. Mm -hmm. the, the different dials, the different settings, the it's not a limitless possibility, but the camera is not a limitless possibility. There are only so many meters and measures and dials it has, but in the moment, it can feel like infinite ways of approaching a shot. And I do find that daunting and intimidating. It's something I do struggle with. But of course, the, the good news is there's always the post-production side of things, the sort of digital darkroom where you can make those adjustments. My daughter actually, she's nine. She goes, but isn't it cheating to change the phone? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, that's actually kind of interesting. But in a way, like, you know, it's kind of like when you write a script or something or any kind of form of other art, 
you kind of do your first pass and then refine it. You chip away at something or you do a painting and then you're like, well, that's the first layer of paint. Now it's time to really get it where it's got to be. So I think every art form also has that flip side of what comes after you take the shot, you know, and um, it still is a struggle, though, uh, in that moment of knowing quite where to go with the technical stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the technical side of things is intimidating for many people. And I like what you said at the beginning of the interview where you sort of um, have this instinct and you follow your instincts and you work in the moment, you don't really read manuals. So I personally think that it's not really a big issue because with time you will develop your instinct even more and then you won't even need to worry about manuals. You'll just automatically know what works for you. And I think you through that, you will be able to focus more on the emotion in your photography. And I think that's the most important thing. That's my opinion, but yeah. I agree. The more you know, perhaps, of the technical side, the more it could strip away from the decisions of spontaneity or instinct or being in the moment. Like it's to to go back to other things we've discussed. If you're a filmmaker, for instance, and all you care about is box office, it's going to influence every single decision you make. It's going to make you do X instead of Y. And the same thing could happen with a photo. You're like, well, the technical manual says that when I shoot a portrait, I need to put it in this setting. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> but like <laughs> in the moment that doesn't feel right and you want to take a risk. First of all, I think taking a risk can just make you feel more alive. And then secondly, as we said earlier, you know, I am a strong believer in you learn more from your mistakes. So sometimes like you have to make a mistake. If you do everything by the book, it just limits uh, the scope of exploration. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. I think rules are, of course, very important. And if you're lost, they can really help you find your way again. But at the same time, you really have to trust your instincts, trust your creativity. And throughout the process, you can take photos that you wouldn't have been able to take had you followed some kind of manual. For example, in portrait photography, you know, there's aperture and shutter speed and all that stuff. If you get too lost in that, you're just going to take the same kinds of photographs. Because some people say that you can't use an aperture that's too small, for example. Others are on the completely different side of the spectrum. And there's just arguments and arguments about this. And to me, it's just like, you know, it doesn't matter. What works for you works for you. I know some incredible photographers who use very unusual techniques and that works for them. And that's why they stand out so much. So it's very important to keep that in mind, to you know, be open to breaking rules and don't worry about guidelines too much. I agree with you a thousand percent. You're very open and vulnerable in some of your posts, and we talked about constructive criticism, but I think this is a little bit different in the sense that it's um, about vulnerability. So you talk about your experiences as a father and as an artist on Hit Record. It's really refreshing to see someone who's not afraid of being their authentic self. What advice would you give to someone who avoids being vulnerable online because they're afraid of what other people might say? Well, first of all, I'd say, hey, it's only online. <laughs> you know, like, what's the worst thing <laughs> uh, Secondly, I, I think everybody's got to have boundaries. And I think that those come in, in different forms at different stages in one's life. I don't quite know what it's like to have the internet in your hand as, say, a teenager. I mean, I only got the internet, I feel like, when I was like 16, 17. But mm -hmm. if I had the internet in my hand at 10 or 12, I don't quite know how vulnerable I'd, I'd feel or how much of a perfectionist I'd want to present myself. So I don't really have a full bit of advice on all that in this day and age because the technology changes so much. But I do believe in imperfections to a degree. I don't think you have to reveal every single thing that you've done right or wrong. I mean, that, I mean that's not, I think, going to always lead to a productive place. I think internally you have to confront those things, but I just think that vulnerability is, if you can embrace that, I think the better art will come from it. Because then I think it inherently makes one look deeper, acknowledge the imperfections more, and I think the less polished everything looks and the more uh, quote-unquote authentic you know, you're presenting things, I think it inspires other people to realize that there's just less pressure in this world than we think there is. We pressure ourselves way too much, right? We think our mistakes are catastrophic when mm -hmm. they're really not often. 
because we always have a chance to rebuild decision by decision. I'm not quite sure if I answered what you, your question, but. <laughs> no, that's a great answer. Yeah. And I like that you approached it from two different perspectives in a way, because of course it is very important to have boundaries. I've learned that over the years. I mean, I got into photography when I was 12 years old and that was around the time when I started joining different photography websites and stuff. And as a 12 year old, you don't really have a sense of privacy. <laughs> you just uh, talk about your feelings and, you know, Facebook was the thing back then. So I post a lot of you know statuses about my life and it's interesting to see how much that has changed for me personally. And I know it's different for every individual out there, but for me, it's now I'm more protective of my privacy. Like I just, I don't want people to know too much when it comes to, you know, personal things. And I know that the opposite is true for many others. And I also like that you mentioned that, you know, it's, it helps a lot to be vulnerable at the appropriate time, because then people can, as you said, see that perfection isn't a thing like it's because social media you know as you, you know this yourself it's so perfection oriented there are so many people who look perfect and you, you don't really see the behind the scenes and that can really take a toll on your mental health and your creativity at the same time so yeah I guess it's a matter of balancing both sides yeah I think overall if we were to probably take like a quick temperature on social media perfection probably is more popular I think you're more likely to get more followers. And I'm just guessing here. I don't have stats on this. But I think you're more likely to get high engagement if you're presenting your perfect self. And, mm -hmm. you know, people are like, oh, my God, I just want to be like you, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And that's awesome if that's what motivates people. Like, I look, sometimes when I see somebody that I deem to be perfect, it, it does make me want to work harder in certain areas. It does make me want to, you know, change my routines or make adjustments. Like you see Michael Jordan play basketball and you're like, well, he's as close to perfect as possible. Mm -hmm. uh, that's not necessarily always a bad thing, but if social media accelerates the fact that he would, I'm not saying he, he doesn't have social media, but what I mean is when people are so good at something and then they constantly remind you how good they are, uh, you know, maybe that can be off-putting as well, but maybe to some people it's like, no, I need that constant reminder of all the hard work that goes into some, looking a certain way or, you know, achieving a certain degree of creativity or something. So I see it from all sides. I don't think there's really a right or wrong. And I, I certainly don't see it binary where, you know, just because something's popular means it's bad. I don't see things that way. I think there's a gray area to everything. And I think that's important. I think so many people are just haters or just lovers of things where they don't question it enough. I think living in that middle zone, the gray area, and it's the same with vulnerability. Like you're not going to go completely vulnerable, like here's everything, but you, <laughs> you know, you gotta, maybe if you get 70 to 80% of the way there, um, that's a nice comfortable zone. And I think that might inspire people in a way that if you're only 20% vulnerable, people are like, think everything's unachievable. So I, I don't know. There's no science to it. There's no real right or wrong answer. Uh, everybody's different hey, everybody's got an opinion. So this is just me riffing. Anybody could disagree with this perspective, but uh, I think there, there just has to be a balance. Yes, yeah, I agree with you completely, yeah. And uh, yeah, I think it's just uh, about personalities because everybody's so different. Some people really don't like spending time on social media. It brings them down, and that's fine. And some people, as you said, they get so much motivation from all these constant reminders of other people's you know, good lifestyles, healthy lifestyles, and that's great too. So it's, uh, I think it's good, like the way that you look at things, that you're so open-minded towards them, because uh, I think that's a, like a healthy way to live in general. I wasn't always like that. I was very judgmental for most of my life. And, and like it, that, I think, didn't get me to a place where I felt really good. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, that's really interesting. I wouldn't have imagined that actually. Well, it's, you know, I mean, going back to everybody's got an opinion and it's like, how hard do you flex that opinion? Like how often do you, uh, in every conversation do you go, well, this is a, this is a, on a scale of one to 10, this is about an eight. Or if you're like, <laughs> oh, this is a two. And like, if you're constantly evaluating everything and judging everything, that can be very taxing, exhausting, and frankly, not productive. But that's why I'm kind of saying like photography is that great thing. Because if you see something, go for it, take the shot. If you're not feeling something, skip it. Move on. It's fine. Find the right moment. Uh, commit to the shot that feels right rather than like 
constantly being like, well, there's, there's nothing to take photos of. It's like, no, there's plenty. You just have to sit back, relax, and explore. Putting yourself on high pressure where it's not necessary, mm, I don't know about that. Whereas, as we said earlier, the wedding photographer, guess what? To get that kiss photo, there's pressure, but you signed up for it. You know, When you're out shooting the world, check yourself. It's more about how it, find the things that make you feel good when you take photos. Yes, exactly. It has to be about feeling good. I think a lot of people get lost in the whole perfection of it and wanting to reach a certain level, which is great. Of course, there's motivation there. That's awesome. But you have to enjoy it first and foremost. You have to do it for yourself or else who are you doing it for? And is it really worth it in that case? Well, it's also, as you said, if you want to achieve a certain level, it's like what type of level, technical level? Like that's still debatable what that even is. It, I think it's more of like the intrinsic level. Like, does it feel good? Does it feel satisfying? Do I want to do this again? Or am I putting myself through a miserable experience where I'm starting <laughs> to question why I'm even holding this device in my hand? Go back to what the motivation was to get it in the first place. Why did you upgrade? Did you upgrade because you just wanted more pixels, you wanted more features? Or are you trying to be Ansel Adams where that might not be attainable? You know what I mean? Like, it's all just about like just checking yourself, like seeing where you are and how you feel about it. And um, like I'm not going to spend $8,000 on, on one camera. I'm just not at that stage where I think that that would be a value and make me feel good. In fact, it would make me intimidated to take certain shots. I'd be like, I'm, I don't think my talent might live up to that thing. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. I totally respect anybody who thinks that, but I also respect anybody who's like, no, I want the $8,000 camera because it'll make me better. If, if that's what motivates you to go out and take shots, the $8,000 price tag, great, go do it. And make sure you're having fun with it. But if it's making you rack your brain and feel stressed out, <laughs> you might not have wanted to get it, you know? Mm -hmm. It might have had the adverse effect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the one thing that uh, everybody should get from this interview is do what feels right for you personally, no matter what. Yeah, I think so too. Do what feels right. Don't force it, but be open-minded to feedback and also open-minded in the moment to adjust and find what feels right, more so even sometimes than what looks right. Uh, mm -hmm. Be that adjustment might affect the next shot maybe you don't nail that shot right but the next one that you set your camera up and make the you know find the frame for you're in a better mind space headspace to capture what you're looking for and you've taken enough breaths since the last one you've gotten over you've learned from perhaps what was a failure and you're approaching something with a new open mind and you've reminded yourself hey I love taking photos. I'm not going to nail every single one, but I'm going to approach it with what feels good. Mm -hmm. That's a beautiful answer. I saw on your Instagram that you recently bought your daughter a camera and that you go on photography scavenger hunts with her, which I think is really cool. It's really inspiring that you are encouraging her to be creative from a young age. I know that some of our listeners have children or young family members. How can they encourage them to be free and creative in a way that doesn't feel forced? I think uh, what I found was I, when, when my daughter was born, I immediately wanted her to become an artist, you know, not out of selfishness, but just because I found a lot of personal growth through being creative. So you want to get those markers in her hand, or at least I did. You want to get her a camera. So mm -hmm. I like, you know, depending on how old the, the kids are, getting them a play camera. Like we got, we got Kaya at my... She's nine now, but like at, when she was like one or two, we got her to this like, I thought she was the lowest pixel type of little kid camera of all time. <laughs> you take a photo, it just looked like Tetris, you know, it was just like, <laughs> just terrible quality. However, what I thought was really great about that, there's, there's, a, there's something in every type of aesthetic, right? Even old phone mm -hmm. cameras. Like I'm sure there's photographers out there that go buy old Nokia flip phones and take photos and like the, it, the aesthetic is what it is and you make art out of even low quality. And I remember seeing the shots that she was taking. And even though there were so few pixels to see what she had made, I could see the framing and what she was capturing. And I was like, oh, that's so fascinating. Like to be able to see through technology what your child sees in the world around them, even in, in your apartment or whatever. I, I don't know. 
So I would say getting these creative tools into their hands in a natural way, just, you know, you're not buying them a Canon Rebel, you know, you're getting them like the toy camera and then you're working your way up and then you're also seeing how they react. Like, you know, nobody wants to be forced to do anything. Nobody wants to be told by their dad, hey, you, you got to hit the driving range and become a professional golfer. Nobody probably <laughs> wants that at age four. But, you know, getting a little nudge or, or having the opportunity to try and see what they gravitate toward is productive. So I think it's like just giving them those resources, like, you know, also being open to classes they might want to take. Like, you know, my daughter has done everything from ballet classes to karate to uh, she's doing coding classes now for computers. And, you know, we're not buying like three years of classes. We're buying like four at a time, you know, like and if they if it's a miserable experience, we'll stop. And if she wants to keep doing them, we'll hopefully be able to keep doing them. But I think it's just about providing the array and then just being self-aware as a parent of what they're feeling. The scavenger hunt thing emerged because I was taking my camera out and we would go on walks and I was just taking photos at will and kind of giving her the camera every now and then and being so impressed with what she did shoot. But I was also thinking like, I'm still hogging this camera and taking the majority of the shots. And I thought it'd be super fun when she turned, I think she was eight at the time. We got her a camera in, in advance of her ninth birthday, like a, an, another Nikon. It was a used one, but it's, it's you know, pretty nice. And she's out there trying it and it comes so effortless to her. And I'm, I, you know, I'm not just saying this like, cause she's my daughter, but like I see a lot of potential and I hope that she wants to continue doing it. I'm going to hopefully guide her toward trying it more because again, I think that she has an eye and I think she could be a really powerful storyteller. But of course that will only happen if she embraces it eventually on her own without our weekly scavenger hunts looking for things and sometimes feeling the pressure of finding the shot. I hope she develops that love for it on her own because that's the true test of a hobby. Mm -hmm. Yes, I hope so too. And it's incredible the relationships that you have with your daughter and that you, you know, nudge her very gently, but don't force her to do anything. I think uh, she's very lucky to be in a family of creative people who uh, encourage her and understand what it's like to be free as artistic people in a natural way. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, you know, sometimes she won't really feel up to it. You know, it'd be like a Saturday morning or and she'll be like, can we do this tomorrow? And I'll be like, <laughs> I'll be like, I really want to do it now. But, you know, then I'll compromise. And then even on Sunday, she'll be like, I don't know. I don't really want to do it today. But we end up doing it. And it's, it's kind of like that. You know, it's like, again, I hope it's feeling very good to her. Because at the end of the session, we always walk away smiling, laughing, and then we, we go on our own computers and we do our own photo edits. So I don't see her shots until she's, you know, completely produced them. And, you know, having her take ownership of it, I think is hopefully makes it more fun for her because it's not like I'm over her shoulder being like, well, you need to adjust the saturation. The saturation isn't... <laughs> She does do very bright photography. She likes to brighten things and she likes to really, you know, push the colors and that's her vision, you know, and I'm sometimes like that and sometimes not. But I mean, she's owning what she thinks the shot should be. And I think that's really important because I think if I was taking more control over that, I think it'd be a very bad experience and I don't think she'd want to do it. And I would have to understand why, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's cool that you respect her. And I think that will give her just the freedom to do whatever it is that she likes. And through that, she will be able to find her true passions and, you know, develop in a, in an organic way. Yeah. She's so anti black and white photography. She hates when I do black and white and I love black. and white <laughs> photography. I also know, you know, too much black and white can be perhaps too extreme. So I like to, you know, I usually do about 33%, you know, a third of my shots I'd like to make black and white, but she's so against it. And, um, I remember early on, like before she had her own camera, she would take shots and then I would do the photo editing. And that was a mistake because I would edit her own photos and make them what I thought the vision was. And she made it very clear that I wasn't um, capturing what she saw, that mm -hmm. I had somehow taken it over. So that's where we had mixed, uh, you know, mixed emotions about the, the exercise. But 
that's why I, I thought it was really important to get her her own camera and have her use her computer to do the editing because, you know, I needed to have those. She needed the boundaries where she had control. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, awesome. I think it's great advice for parents out there who are listening or anyone who has you know, young family members or friends that they want to take pictures with. I think it's good. Yeah, just be respectful and let them roam freely in their own creativity. They're going to surprise you. That's the best part of it. Your kids with a camera in their hand, you know, wandering the earth, whether they're by your side or not, what they produce with that camera is going to move you emotionally in ways you're not ready for. I think that's the thing I would leave the listener with. Mm, Well, that's, uh, I can imagine how magical that is. It's something. Okay, my last question for you is, what is the one thing you'd like to achieve in this great big photography world? My, that's a really great question. I love how vast the question is and how open-ended it is. It's also something I could really hone in on a number of ways to approach it. I want to be concise with the answer, of course. Part of me selfishly would be like, well, I want to inspire other people to t- pick up the camera. I want to take a photo that absolutely compels them to you send a comment or a, a DM or an email to me just saying how much they like, you know, obviously there's a side of probably most artists that are like, well, I just want compliments. Like that's, that's the ultimate achievement. I think actually that it goes back to the idea of collaboration. Like I hope that some of my shots, I know that not all my shots that I share will achieve this, nor is the intention for it, but I really hope like, it inspires conversation, whether it's internally for them, for an audience member, or uh, in a discussion with other people where they see a shot and they just want to talk about it, or they want to write something about it, or they want to turn it into something new. Like the same way, you know, when I used to download music videos and recut them, or, you know, look at something and wonder what the story was behind the shot. How did that moment get captured what was the weather like what was the set if it was on a set how did the the photographer make the talent feel to capture that moment where did the tears come from you know i want somebody to kind of construct a narrative or make their own narrative i want the photo to live on longer than just flipping through a magazine or flipping through instagram or flipping through a website like i want that thing to take on its own life that's the ultimate achievement i think That's a great answer. And I already feel that when I look at your work, as I go through your gallery and a lot of your photographs stand out to me, there are some photos of yours that stood out to me. I think you took some photos of flowers and you posted three of them in a row and hit record, I think. And they really stood out to me. They're just really beautiful. And uh, I instantly started thinking of ways I could use them in my own work. So it's clear that you're already succeeding at that, just so you know. And I'm sure that you will continue to inspire people and, you know, Encourage them to sit down and look at your work and see or well, create their own narrative for it. Ah, thanks for saying that. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Matt, thank you so much for your time. I had an incredible time with you and I'm so glad that I got to learn more about your journey. I will link to your website and your portfolio in the show notes. Please check out Matt's work, give him lots of love and uh, maybe collaborate with him on Hit Record. I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you too. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Bye. I love what Matt is doing for the Hit Record community and can't wait to see where he goes next. I hope that our conversation reminded you to be more open to collaboration and to embrace your creativity no matter which art form it comes from. See you next week. There's a simple reason why PhotographyCourse.net is the highest rated photography community in the world. It's because the people who use it made it that way. Why not join us right now? Improve your skills, get exposure, and discover an exciting new world of photography. While you're at it, claim your special discount code by going to photographycourse.net and entering the coupon code PODCAST to get 50% off your first year as a premium member.